Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, welcome back. Happy Friday. It's been a heck of a week in the financial markets and the precious metals markets. And I want to take some time today to sort of unpack that, cover some different topics. This is kind of what I call my weekly roundup video where I pick some different topics I find interesting or timely and we uh, kind of break those down. And I think that the most appropriate one to talk about is the... Well, at least the first step towards a a trade deal, what what the administration is calling a phase one deal with China, which as of right now, as far as I know, is is signed off on. Now I'm recording this, uh, you know, in the morning uh, of, of Friday, uh, December. What day is it? The thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth. And so, you know, by the time you guys hear this in this afternoon or whatever. This is obviously subject to change because of this. This is so much drama. I mean, this is the drama that has occurred in in this uh, the, these trade talks, which have been going on for like eighteen months now. I mean, this is like this is like some high school drama right here. Like, like this is like the boyfriend and girlfriend that can't decide if they want to stay together or not, and 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 are constantly gossiping about each other and then making up. And okay, maybe maybe I'm being mean maybe i'm being pessimistic here but but that's what it feels like to me and that's why i'm saying i have to preface this by saying things could change by this afternoon right uh because of this drama but as of right now the phase one deal is in place hurrah i mean great news and the markets are loving it i mean as of right now the dow jones is up oh wait no it's not actually up actually as i speak it's down 70 something points uh, I'll check the S&P 500 while I'm at it. Uh, gosh, what if this turns out to be a buy the rumor, sell the news type of event? The S&P is down nine points, right? Not not a huge drop yet today. Um, it was up. Both markets were up earlier today. But as of right now, it's almost like the markets are saying, like, this isn't that big of a deal. Or maybe we've already gone up all we can on the news of a trade deal. Now that one's actually here, even if it's just phase one. That we're not going to continue to rise on this. Now, some of this is talking about poor economic data, which is, is certainly a, a good reason for stocks not to rise as much. Um, but certainly, I, I don't think this is what maybe the president expected. Maybe he's getting a hard lesson on this uh, buy the rumor, sell the news type of, of system that, that stocks so often operate in. But, you know, turning back to this phase one deal, it's it's sort of a big deal if you listen to the president and, and his um uh, people that negotiate with him and whatnot. Uh, however, it's uh, well, it's filled with some some I guess you could say promises. It's filled with some some things that the U.S. is going to follow, written out explicitly. Uh, and on China's side, they, in my opinion, got off kind of easy because yes, they are agreements that they they agreed to, and and more details could come out in coming days. But as of right now, there's not a whole lot of hard details on exactly what 
China has done, and if it's actually, uh, um, if if what the China, if if the China, if what China is going to do is is ultimately, I don't know, beneficial enough to the U.S. economy to warrant the the, the optimism by many, uh, the huge move up in the stock market over the last eighteen months, more or less, obviously with hiccups along the way. Uh, basically, here it is: uh, the U.S. has agreed to uh, not place new tariffs in place uh, on, on December 15th. That's Sunday. That's when they're going to put them in place. Uh, in addition, um, they're also going to be uh, cutting uh, some tariffs, which were recently in, in place uh, beginning in September, um, cutting them from, I think, 15% to 7.5%. So basically, this means that right now the United States continues to have 25% tariffs on approximately a quarter trillion dollars worth of Chinese imports, along with 7.5% tariffs on $120 billion of Chinese imports. So, okay, so China gets their goods in here more easily, uh, a drop in tariffs, even though they completely they weren't completely rolled back or anything like that, which would have been foolish, I think, if you're going to go this far to just roll them back on such a light deal. That wouldn't have made sense either. However, what the U.S. gets out of this is... Uh, well, we're not sure, honestly. Uh, China vice state planner had asked about commitment on U.S. farm goods purchases, says value of U.S. farm purchases will be disclosed at a later date. So maybe Trump knows what that's going to be, but as of right now, we don't. stock market certainly doesn't know. Otherwise, it's both basically kind of a loose promise by, the United, uh, by, by China to buy more U.S. goods uh, as well as continue to negotiate for a phase two which involves much, much more complicated matters, inclu- matters including intellectual, and this is a quote from the official statement, intellectual property, technology transfer, uh, agriculture, that's more straightforward, financial services, uh, and currency, and foreign exchange. So much more complicated matters to be worked out in phase two, which, you know, if phase one is, is only as complicated as rolling back tariffs and the Chinese buys more of our goods and took 18 months to negotiate, Phase two should be here by the end of the next president's term or or the next, by 2024, whoever's president by then. I mean, this is, I don't know. You guys, I, I know, I know how it is. Um, I, I'm sounding anti-Trump here. And, and maybe it's because I am on this topic and I have been for a while now. And of course, some of my viewers are going to think that somehow I'm pro-Trump and oftentimes those are the individuals that are, that are are very much anti-Trump and whatnot. I'm trying not to be either. I'm just trying to say that this trade deal, phase one here, is, is kind of baloney. It's not much of a deal. It's something, but this doesn't warrant 18 months of, of hope from the stock market. It doesn't warrant um, celebration, right? This is, I mean, think about it. I mean, if you are, are an individual in the United States, a company that was significantly damaged by this trade war. And there are plenty of employees, plenty of business owners that were. What's your reaction to this? If you're a farmer, what's your reaction to this? Like, you put us through all that for for this, like a little bit more of agricultural. And I know I'm going to get the comments. Trump's um, art of the deal. Uh, He's playing... 18-dimensional chess. He has this all figured out ahead of time. And and I would say that that's... I would put that in the same category as this trade deal. It's, it's baloney. It, no. Um, the damage that's been caused to the U.S. economy through tariffs, 
uh, has, has not been worth it. Granted, I mean, yeah, you've done some damage to the Chinese economy, but why do we have to keep thinking of this as a zero-sum game, that either they win or we win? I get it. China's our um, adversary. They're, they're sort of the new Soviet Union uh, in this new Cold War, uh, but it doesn't mean that it has to be a zero-sum game. And, and right now, it, it really has been a situation where we've both lost. I mean, what positive can we find from this? The U.S. The, the only positive that I can find in this is that the U.S. government has taken in a little bit of extra revenue, some tens of billions of dollars, through these tariffs. Right? But otherwise, it's a lot of negative. You, you have a lot of damage to the U.S. economy, a lot of... Uh, uh, inflation in a lot of these uh, goods affected by tariffs. You you have the stock market that was up, but that's not that's not real economic growth. That's not real economic prosperity. That's just the illusion of prosperity. And on the Chinese side of things, hey, guess what? They've had a lot of manufacturing leave their country because of uncertainties about this trade war, right? That's what Trump wanted, right? Except as a whole, and I don't want to say every company, but as a whole, a lot of these companies aren't relocating to the United States. They're relocating to, you know, Vietnam, right? Or, or, or some other uh, Asian country in which to, to do business that, that, that the U.S. Is, is more friendly with in terms of trade, right? And so what has been achieved through this other than a little bit of extra revenue, right? I, I don't think that extra revenue, which, by the way, is offset by a drop in economic activity anyways, is not worth it, Right? This has been a pretty poor negotiation thus far. We're talking 18 months for this. And it could be wrong, but, but I'm not. That this is, When this trade deal ultimately does get worked out, let's say it does, phase two or the final phase of the trade deal gets worked out, and, and whatever that, that amounts to, it's not going to be a win for the United States. Trump can parrot it as such, but it's going to be really a lackluster trade deal. We're going to roll back our tariffs. There's going to be some really loose... And nothing's going to change. There's going to be some really loose agreements. And I know I'm triggering some of you right now. And, and feel free to, to voice your displeasure in the comment section or shoot me an email, whatever. But I'm serious, and I'm not trying to be prideful in saying that I won't be wrong. Right? I very well could be wrong. Okay, I'm not going to be so prideful to say that I won't be wrong. Right? But... It's not that hard to figure this out ahead of time, right? I'm not saying that China holds all the cards, that that we're somehow beholden to them, and that therefore we're for sure going to lose. I'm not saying that China's a good guy in this trade situation. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that this has been 18 months for a pretty crappy phase one deal. Hasn't fixed a whole lot. Tariffs are still in place. There's just going to be a little bit of extra purchases from China. And we can start negotiation on phase two, which I see no reason why it wouldn't also take 18 months, right? So I don't know. Um, I, I don't see how, how we're going to somehow win on this, this trade deal, especially since every other indicator is pointing towards further escalation between the U.S. and, and China. Um, we'll see. And, and, and the other thing about this is, yes, it's written in stone, but there's absolutely nothing stopping from Trump from saying, like, look, China said such and such today or, or whatever, and deciding, let's, let's raise tariffs again. 
Let's do the tariffs that we were going to put in place in the first place. Right? This phase one can't be undone. It can't be, uh, it can be undone. It can be ripped up by either administration, by either government. Right? So am I pessimistic? Yeah. But, but maybe it's not pessimism. Maybe it's just realism. Let's just, I'm just being honest here. This isn't really a win. Right? And look, I am people that have followed me for a long time know that I give credit where credit is due. There have been moments during Trump's presidency where I have been very pleased with what he has done. A great example in the in the past, it seems so long ago now, but his uh, his two meetings actually with Kim Jong Un, historic. Unfortunately, within weeks, that's probably all going to be undone. China or North Korea is expected to most likely do something between... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now and the end of the year, either launch a, a, a uh, ICBM or, or test a nuclear missile, unless something changes, but that's, that's the trajectory we're heading on. But that was something that I was very happy about, a move towards peace. Because we all know that, that if, uh, well, first of all, to, to keep North Korea isolated is, is I feel, for a lot of their population, um, their, their prisons within, prisoners within their own country. But also, you know, the threat of war in the Korean Peninsula could have meant millions of, of civilian deaths, right? So obviously, you guys know I'm a peace guy, right? Things that Trump has said in the past about Afghanistan, about Syria, has, has made me happy. Now, it hasn't always been backed up with the best action, but generally speaking, some of the things he's done in foreign policy in terms of, of moving troops out or talking about that at least is, yeah, I'll give credit where credit is due when those, when those words are backed up with actions. Or even Russia. I, I'm not a fan of Russia. I also don't think that the Trump administration is best friends with Russia, as, as the, the left would like to portray. However, he also hasn't fallen into this uh, Russiaphobia to this this idea that that Russia is still a huge Cold War threat, and that we need to uh, uh, basically put ourselves on the brink of a, a a major conflict with Russia by by stacking up forces on on the uh, Eastern Front and in in Eastern Europe, or by by sanctioning the crap out of them. And one, I mean, don't get me wrong; like he doesn't have a super friendly stance towards Russia, but it could be much much worse, right? Right? So there's things that I'm willing to say, like give credit where credit is due to, to Donald Trump. His, his Supreme Court nominees have, are not all that bad, all things considered. Every now and then he'll tweet something that I think is kind of humorous. Right? There's some things out there. I'm not, I'm not a Trump hater. You guys know that. I'm not, a, I'm not a leftist. I'm not a communist. I'm not any of that. Right? I'm a liberty-loving individual. I'm also an individual that tries to to keep an unbiased opinion of what's going on in the White House, what's going on in politics. And my unbiased opinion, looking at this at face value, this trade deal, this phase one trade deal has been lackluster. But let's move on. Again, voice your displeasure, 
voiced your displeasure in, in the comment section, but I'm trying not to, to be overly biased here. I just think it's a pretty poor trade deal. Hasn't been worth the wait. Moving on, though, I wanted to talk about this other article. You know, as we were talking about the Fed, talked about yesterday, the Fed continuing to to move a, a ton of, of liquidity into the repo markets um, to the tune of, of basically $500 billion by year end or by, yeah, around by year end in the uh, short-term funding markets, including through their not QE and their repo market operations. Uh, $500 billion. I, I wanted to to bring up this article, actually shared over in Zero Hedge, uh, titled "The Fed Has Absorbed 90% uh, of Treasury Issuance Since September," written by Lee Adler from WallStreetExaminer.com, and and he really <laughs> picks up our some of Powell's statements and just talks about how much nonsense they really are. But but he really, first of all, to to discuss that the title of this article, uh, he, he talks about how. The Fed at this point has basically absorbed slash monetized 90% of U.S. federal debt issuance since they began their, their not QE or their, their QE light repo operations back in September, right? So basically over that time period, the cumulative increase in federal debt has totaled almost $500 billion, as of right now, the increase to the Fed's balance sheet is nearing $500 billion, right? And that is through their TOMO and POMO operations, temporary and permanent uh, overnight or open market, sorry, open market operations. So te- uh, temporary would be their repo market stuff. The permanent stuff would be uh, their their treasury bills that they're buying through this not QE program, Right which actually are approaching almost $200 billion, believe it or not, that they have done just through this QE program. And so that's pretty interesting. And, and he breaks it apart, basically saying that the reason the Fed is doing this, the reason that this repo market has, has blown up in the first place, beginning back in, in September and August, was that, that banks basically said, we... we we can't handle any more debt. We're talking about federal debt here, treasury debt. We can't handle any more debt uh, because his his theory is, theory here, and, and I tend to think that he's correct. This this uh, what Lee Adler um, is that basically through repo markets, the these banks, these financial institutions, have been engaging what what he says is akin to. Uh, margin uh, trading or, or operating on margins through the repo markets. Uh, again, the repo markets are short-term funding. You can you can exchange your treasuries or liquid assets for cash on an overnight basis or a short-term basis at a small premium. And that's basically what he's saying here, that, that they've been using these repo markets, which have grown significantly over the last year plus, to, to fund ex- additional deficits. Because otherwise the buyers just aren't there, that these financial institutions have had to become basically the entities that are propping up the U.S. government and our insatiable thirst for, for more debt. Um, and that's not a right term, insatiable. <laughs> thir- yeah, I guess thirst for more debt creation, right? And they're saying that, hey, look, we, we don't have 
uh, an unlimited capacity to absorb this debt, and investors simply are not buying it. And so what the Fed has done is said basically, look, well, we'll do it through repo markets and through this not QE. They're buying $60 billion uh, worth a month of, of short-term debt off of these banks' balance sheets, and then they're doing these repo markets, which are basically, they call it permanent, but but thus far has been essentially, or sorry, they're calling it temporary. It's been essentially permanent uh, expansion of their balance sheet, just albeit on an overnight basis versus a, a ongoing basis or a two-week basis versus an ongoing basis where they're they're buying and holding these treasuries, right? And, and he's basically saying that the reason that they're doing this is because they have to, because otherwise yields would blow out. And, and the situation you'd have there is, is, first of all, I mean, the obvious one is that higher treasury yields would be bad for the U.S. government. But, I mean, all things considered, they could stomach uh, 2%, I say 3%, 3.5%. All things considered, the U.S. government over a year, over two years, could handle play, paying that higher interest rate on their debt, right? But the problem here is if the 10-year yield were to fall to, say, 3%, 3.5%, that would spell out doom for these financial institutions. Because guess what happens to the price of a bond when the yield increases from where it's at right now, which is, what, under 2%, around 2%, all the way to 3.5%. There's a ton of value destroyed in that. And if you're doing that on margin trading, well, what happens when you're, when you're trading a stock, when you own a stock, investing in a stock on margin? Well, the, the uh, drop in the value of that stock uh, further hits your your value, and ultimately you have you know a margin call, right? In the case of these banks, they would end up um, insolvent if if all of a sudden they're holding more treasury bonds than they can handle, and and all of a sudden they no longer can absorb the the additional bonds, meaning there's a drop in supp- uh, demand for these bonds as they're issued in the future, and and all else equal, the the yield rises until investors say that the yield is high enough for them to to jack up their demand of these bonds. But in the meantime, there's a huge value, a huge amount of value that's destroyed in these bonds that are already on these these banks balance sheets. They're basically operating on margin debt here and they're they're left with with massive losses, potentially insolvent, potentially destroys their balance sheet, right? Destroys their profitability. That's what the Fed is doing here. Is it really as simple as that? I think very well it could be. You know, there's there's a uh, there's a great uh, guy out there um, by the name of Luke Roman. He uh, he works for for he runs a, a a firm called Force for the Trees, right? And and he has a take on the U.S debt situation that I think a lot of you guys would like because it's very bearish. It's realistic, but it's very very bearish that that the U.S. government is having trouble financing a lot of um, their debt and that they're going to continue to have that trouble going forward. It's only going to get worse. In fact, he has a term for it, and, and, and his term for it is, is Voldemort. Now, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. I've seen the movies, never read the books, which is uh, strange for my generation, I guess. Most people in my generation, I feel like, have read the books. But but I haven't. I've read the movies. I understand the, the concept of Voldemort. Basically, Voldemort's the villain. And for a long time in the book, in the movies, nobody wants to say Voldemort's name because they're fearful of him, right? And and what he's saying is, is today's Voldemort 
is the U.S. government unable to to fund their deficits, fund their current spending. The Voldemort here is that the demand for treasuries just does not equal the supply at current prices. Meaning, you know, the price has to fall, yields have to rise. That's the Voldemort here, if I remember correctly. And I could be totally off base here. But that's basically what his thesis is here, that U.S. government bond, the bond market is is currently funded largely by, by these banks, by, by other investors, but that with this massive increase in debt in a, in a relatively um, prosperous time for the stock market at least, and in a non-recession, according to official figures, that the demand is just not there for bonds. And that over time, just like with Voldemort in, in Harry Potter, more and more people are going to realize that, that this villain is here, that the villain has arrived, and we don't have to avoid saying his name anymore. And that at some point, just like in the movies, just like in the books, everybody's going to be talking about Voldemort all at once. And, and that's going to be, um, I think, a happy day for me when we all of a sudden see a freak out on Wall Street uh, about will the U.S. government be able to finance our debt? Will they finance their debt? Yeah, but but it's going to be with a helping hand of not just these banks, but it's going to be with a helping hand of the Fed. And I think that's what we're seeing right now is the Fed, U.S. government, financing, financing their debt in a non-recessionary environment through the aid of the Federal Reserve, through repo market operations and through uh, not QE, which means that when it's all said and done, when we're into 2020 and all this uh, concern about year-end repo market uh, liquidity shortage is, is supposedly over by the Federal Reserve, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see all of a sudden these, these temporary market operations move into the realm of, of permanent over uh, open market operations, permanent expansion of Fed balance sheet because Voldemort has arrived, that, that uh, we, everyone's realized that the Fed or the U.S. government can no longer finance their debt without the aid of the Fed. As always, thanks for tuning in to today's uh, wrap-up here. Uh, a couple quick things before I go. In fact, I'll just leave you with one quick thing. If you enjoy today's podcast, I got a couple more coming out over this weekend, and I'd love if you check me out over on the in the podcast realm. YouTube is fine. I'm not leaving YouTube. That's where the bulk of my audience is. But my content is basically podcast-based. So I would encourage you to subscribe, and, and if you haven't already, install uh, a podcast platform, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Anchor or Pocket Cast or Google Podcast. Or I'm on most major platforms. There's a couple that I'm not. I don't think I'm on Pandora. I'm not on Podbean. But most of the major ones out there I am on. And, and it really works better for my content. And I am trying to build that podcast audience. And, and I'm not too worried if I lose a couple uh, a couple YouTube viewers in the meantime. So I'd encourage you to check it out. If not, that's fine. I'm happy to have you here on YouTube anyways. But as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast. And God bless.